Well, that was a great time of worship together. Uh, let's dive in now. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're reading through the uh, New Testament with us, we're in uh, 1 Corinthians this week, chapters uh, 8 through 12. And last week, uh, if you weren't with us last week in chapter 3, we looked at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I don't say this to you every week, but if you were not here last week, that is a message you really need to go back and listen to. You can go to our website and uh, listen to that message from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, after Paul was uh, teaching on the Bema, on the uh, judgment of believers, not judgment for sin, but the rewards for what believers have done in this life, after teaching on that, you would naturally expect him to give a lot of practical instruction on how to live in such a way that we glorify God and we're able to look forward to that time at the bame at the judgment seat of Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at parts of uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians. Again, remember, Paul is dealing with an immature church. These are young believers. They very recently have come out of uh, sinful, uh, immoral lifestyles. Uh, they're people who were uh, very selfish uh, before becoming believers, and so they're still living for themselves, still looking out for their own personal interests. That has caused some division in the church, as you can imagine, with everyone kind of looking out for himself. There was division, so Paul is having to teach them how to consider other people, uh, how to be willing to sacrifice themselves and their own desires for others in order that they can put the gospel at the forefront. Uh, he's teaching them that they need to love people more than their own personal rights or privileges so that the gospel can advance. Now, Paul is answering some issues or questions that the Corinthians have brought up to him. Uh, you read this week on Monday in chapter 8, uh, you read their question about what about food sacrificed to idols. In their society, um, there were many... Uh, idols, many pagan forms of worship, and one of the things that would happen is uh, pagan people would offer a sacrifice to their idols. Typically, it would be a sacrifice of, of meat, and so meat would be sacrificed to an idol, and any meat that was not uh, burned up on that altar could end up uh, back in that person's home to be served at a meal. It could end up in the marketplace to be sold, so that meat sacrifice to idols could end up uh, being on your plate for dinner. And so what Paul is addressing is that a, a Christian, say, might go to a, uh, in a situation where he has a meal at a neighbor's house, and that neighbor in that meal might include meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Now, if that Christian's a mature Christian, he may say, well, you know what, there are no other gods. This whole idol worship is meaningless, so it doesn't matter that they sacrifice this meat to an idol. Um, God doesn't really care uh, isn't concerned about this food, so let's just eat up. But the problem is, perhaps that Christian in eating a meal at his neighbor's house, perhaps there's another neighbor that's also included in that meal. That neighbor's a brand new Christian who's just come out of this lifestyle of, of idol worship, of sacrificing to idols, and so he's still very sensitive to the fact that this meat has been sacrificed to an idol. It, it, it comes out of a lifestyle that he's turned away from, and to see this meat on his plate or even on another believer's plate and being consumed is very offensive to him. And so what Paul says is, hey, look, you've got freedom. Um, you're, as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, <clears throat> you've got complete freedom. But what you have to think about is that even though the Bible doesn't forbid this, even though this is within your rights, he says, don't let your freedom 
hurt someone else. Be careful, in chapter 8, verse 9, be careful that you don't cause them grief or that you don't make them stumble. Now, what does he mean about a believer having freedom? For us as believers, there are a lot of things that we are free to do. Some things in Scripture, obviously, are clearly wrong and clearly sin. We don't need to debate those things, but there are some gray areas. There are some things that the Bible doesn't expressly forbid. Uh, For example, the Bible doesn't forbid eating meat sacrificed to an idol. So eating the meat is not a sin, but Paul is saying wounding your brother would be a sin. So you have to be willing to sacrifice your rights in order to love your brother. Now, all of what he's covered here in chapter 8 on that specific issue of of meat sacrificed to idols, all of that sets the stage for chapter 9 and 10. We're not going to be able to read all of chapter 9 and 10, so I'd encourage you to have a copy of the Scripture open as we move through uh, these sections. And let's start in chapter 9. In the the first 18 verses, what Paul is referring to are his rights as an apostle. He's using himself as an example. When he tells believers you need to be willing to give up your rights, he says, let me explain to you what I've done. Paul, as an apostle, um, has the right to be compensated for his ministry work, for his gospel work. In verse 7, Paul says, look, no one serves as a soldier at his own expense. No one plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit of that vineyard. No one tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk. Well, in verse 8, he says, Look, I'm not telling you these things because it's my own opinion or or, or from human authority. He reminds them that in Mosaic law, they were told if they were using their ox to tread uh, grain in a a press, they were not to muzzle the ox because with the ox working, the ox should be free to eat. And Paul says, look, if God is concerned about that ox, how much more concerned is he about men? And so Paul says, look, for those who are doing uh, spiritual work, They should be taken care of materially. They should have their needs met. Now, despite the fact that Paul has said that's a right he clearly has and he's entitled to for his ministry as an apostle, he in verse 12 states this, I have not made use of this right. I would endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. What's he saying? Well, evidently there were some, either in Corinth or perhaps in other places he had been, that thought that Paul was using the gospel for personal gain. They said, you know, this, this guy Paul, he shows up to preach and, and to start churches, but he's really looking to profit. He's really pulling at the heartstrings, at the emotions of people, in order to get them to give him money. Now, we understand that. There are certainly pastors like that in our day. There are men who claim to be ministers of the gospel, but we know the majority of the money that comes into their ministry goes to fund their own lavish lifestyle. Well, this is an accusation that's being made of Paul. And so Paul said, look, even though I need support, I need to make a living from the gospel, I'm not going to do that if men have the impression that I'm just seeking to profit. So what Paul did was he provided his own income as a tent maker. Paul had a job. He had a skill. He was able to to make tents. So by providing his own income as a tent maker, he's able to offer the gospel freely, to offer it without uh, any encumbrance at all. Now, let me pause here and mention, if you've been around Geyer Springs for very long, you know that we have never uh, done fundraisers uh, in our church. I'm not belittling churches that do that. Some churches have a difficult time with, with their budget, and they do that for events like youth camps or trips or whatever. We haven't done that because 
of this very principle, we don't want the world to feel like they have to fund the ministry, the gospel work that God has given us. And so Paul says, look, this is my right as an apostle, but I'm going to give up this right. Now, why is he making that point to the Corinthians and and to the church? Well, the basic point is this. There are a lot of things as a believer that you're free to do, things that are not forbidden in Scripture, like eating meat offered to idols. In fact, Paul would say this. You can even go attend the pagan feast and eat the meat there at that feast as long as you're not participating in their sinful behavior. But if your freedom offends someone, if it keeps them from coming to Christ, then we've got an issue. We've got a problem there. Well, now, in our culture, we don't really struggle specifically with this issue of meat offered to idols. So let me offer perhaps something that hits a little bit um, closer to home for us. Let me offer up, um, and I'm not trying to make this the main case in point. We're going to talk about other areas of liberty, but let me offer up this area. What about the drinking of alcohol? What about having a glass of wine with your meal? What about uh, going out with your buddies and, and, and having a beer? You know that Paul addressed that issue in Romans? He addressed the same issue of, of eating meat offered to idols in Romans, but he also addressed the issue uh, of a drink. In Romans chapter 14, verse 21, he said, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Now, <clears throat> I don't drink. I have every right to drink. Uh, I am free to drink. The Bible does not forbid it. The only prohibition in the Bible related to alcohol is drunkenness. I don't drink. The reason I don't drink is not because I'm a Baptist. You know, a lot of people think the Baptist motto is, we don't drink, chew, or go with girls who do. I don't drink for that reason. The reason I don't drink is really, there there are several reasons, but I could boil it down to the two uh, primary reasons. Number one, I don't want to keep someone from the gospel. Number two, I don't want to cause a younger believer to stumble. And for me as a pastor, especially as a follower of Christ, but especially as a pastor, if someone were to see me out uh, in public drinking, it might cause them to wonder about my stance. It might cause them to wonder about my relation with Christ. It might cause them to wonder about the gospel message. I want to tell you very quickly how we deal with drinking as a church, in case you wonder. It's not our job to police people's personal and and private lives. Um, We teach the truth. On drinking, we would teach that uh, we're not to be drunk. Uh, We can't teach biblically that it's wrong to drink. We can only teach that it's wrong to be drunk. Now, from a leadership standpoint, and I'm not just talking about staff leadership, I'm talking about uh, other leadership, uh, worship leaders, Sunday school leaders, children's ministry, student ministry leaders. From a leadership standpoint, if word comes to us um, that our leaders are out in public, socially drinking, we have a conversation with them. And we just tell them, look, um, we, we don't, we're not going to police your personal life. Um, we don't have any right to tell you not to drink, but as a leader, we need to ask you not to drink publicly simply because it could cause another believer in our church who sees you to stumble. Or it could cause someone that we're trying to reach with the gospel to decide that we're not any different than they are in our lifestyle. And so we have no problem, we've done this on many occasions, we have no problem speaking to a leader about the issue of drinking. And again, it's not that it's prohibited in the Bible, it's just that it's a freedom 
that if we exercise, we could offend someone or we could keep someone from the gospel message. Now, again, it's not just about drinking. The overriding principle is to be concerned, to think about how do my actions affect the gospel message and how do my actions affect the discipleship or the growth and development of a new believer. It's all about my actions. How do I live publicly? How do I, how do I live life daily? How do I act in public? Let me illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that um, one day this week, I take a young man, a, a new young believer, to lunch. And while we're at lunch, the, the service is horrible. Now, as a customer, I have certain rights. I have the right to expect to be served in a certain way. I have the right to expect that server, that waiter or waitress, to treat me, to speak to me in a certain way. But what if the service is horrible? What if that, that waiter or waitress has a, a pretty sorry attitude? And what if I respond in kind? That's not what I want. Here's what I want. I want this young believer, this young man, to see a biblical response, to see a Christ-like response. I want him to see in me and learn that we offer grace. Even when people are not acting appropriately, we offer grace. I want him to see that as a new believer. But the other thing I want is for this waiter or waitress, this might be a place that I frequent. I want them, perhaps if not in that moment, someday to be open to hear me talk to them about the grace of God. And they'll be open to that if they see me demonstrate that. All right, let's move on. I've, I've bitten off more than I can chew, as I frequently do, but let's move on very quickly here in, in a chapter 9, because I want to get to chapter 10. In chapter 9, I'm going to summarize what Paul says in verses 19 through 27. I'm going to do that by just pointing out a couple of verses. In verse 19, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's key. I make myself a slave, a servant, to everyone in order that I may win as many as possible. And then down in verses 25 through 27, this is a very familiar passage uh, for many of you. Paul basically says, look, I'm running this race. What's the race? It's, it's life. I'm running this race to win. He says, I'm not wandering around aimlessly. I'm not letting my body or my desires rule me. I, I don't want to be disqualified in this race. I want to win the prize. So there's two things you see here in this section of chapter 9. The first thing is just the idea of service. Paul says, I'm not here for what I want. I'm not here to satisfy myself. I'm here to serve others that I might reach them with the gospel. It's most like Jesus said in, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. So Paul says, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to exercise my own rights and freedoms. I'm here to serve. And then secondly, you see in this a, a great intentionality. He says, I'm not wandering around aimlessly. I'm not letting my body and my fleshly desires rule what I do. I'm keeping myself under control so that I won't be disqualified for the prize. Now think about it. That reverts back to what we talked about last week about the Bama seat. When Paul says he doesn't want to be disqualified for the prize, he's not talking about his own salvation. He's already been saved. He's already been justified. He's already been made right with Christ. The prize he's talking about is the reward that he's going to receive for running the race well. Here's the bottom line. Paul's approach to every relationship. You see, he talks about the Jews. He talks about those with the law, those without the law. Paul's approach to every relationship is this. How am I going to help this person get to the gospel? That determined how he lived. 
that determined what he did with his freedoms, with his, his rights that he had. How am I going to help this person get to the gospel? All right, let's go quickly to chapter 10. And I want you to look in verses 23 through the end of the chapter. This is kind of a parallel passage to what Paul has talked about, about our freedom there in, in chapter 9. Let me read verses 23 and 24. He says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is lawful, permissible or lawful for the believer, but not everything builds up. And then verse 24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. What Paul does here is he provides some great guidelines for evaluating how we should exercise our freedom. This is great direction. You know, when you've got something that, that you don't know from Scripture, it's not a black and white issue. It's not a sin issue. Maybe it's what we would call in a, in a gray area. You can't decide whether or not something you want to do or participate in. Um, it, it's not clearly prohibited. You can't decide what to do with it. These are the guidelines that Paul gives. Now, what might some of those things be? It might be drinking. It might be recreational marijuana. That, that's legal now in our culture. It might be just your entertainment choices, the music you listen to, the type of movies you go to, the type of venues you go to for entertainment. How do you determine? How do you evaluate? Well, here's the question, here's the evaluation that Paul gives us. Two things. Is it helpful and does it build up? The Greek word here for helpful, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. The Greek word is advantage. Is there an advantage to it? Does it achieve a particular end? What, what, what's the end? What does it achieve for me uh, or for someone else if I participate in this thing? And then he says all things are lawful, but not all things build up. The Greek word for build up, of course, is the word we would use to talk about building a house. But Paul is talking about a spiritual house. Does this help build a spiritual house? In other words, does it cause spiritual growth? Is this activity going to cause growth in my life, or is it going to help me help an unbeliever grow toward the gospel? Well, who's he talking about? Who are we trying to help? Who are we trying to build up? Well, first, ourselves. We want to participate in things that are helpful to us, that are advantageous to us as a believer, that build us up, that build our spiritual growth, but also, is it going to build up and help someone else? Is the thing that I want to do going to be an advantage to me spiritually? Is it going to grow me spiritually? And is it going to be an advantage and to grow another believer spiritually? You see, if it's not prohibited in Scripture, I have the right and I have the freedom to do it, whatever that activity is. But Paul makes very clear that there are some scriptural principles we have to consider as well. I'll give you a couple of principles that really bring all this home. The first one is this. Edification should take precedence over gratification. Let me say that again. Edification should take precedence over gratification. It shouldn't be about me gratifying my own desires. It should be about me building up others. And that leads to the second principle. Others should take precedence over self. Look again at what Paul says here in chapter 10 and verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. You know, as Americans, it's kind of hard for us to think about this. We're, we're pretty proud of the fact, and, and I guess rightly so, that we live in a nation that celebrates uh, freedoms and, and rights. That's part of who we are as a nation. And, and those are good things. But Paul is, is trying to say to us, even though we have freedom, 
there are times that a greater good is accomplished when we set our freedom aside, when we restrict our freedom so that we can care for others more effectively. It's the same instruction here in, in chapter 10, verse 24. It's the same instruction that Paul gave to the Philippians in Philippians 2, verse 4. He said, each one of you should not look out only for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And he goes on in that second chapter and basically tells us, hey, you need to be like Jesus. Jesus set aside his right to be treated as God. That was his right, but he set that aside. He made himself as a servant. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, made himself a servant of others. He gave up his freedom and even his life. Why? For us. For our benefit. Well, why do we, why do we sacrifice our freedoms? Why should we set, afi- set aside the things that gratify us? Look down at the end of the chapter, and, and really this was the main point. Maybe we should have started here, but Paul sums it up in this way in chapter 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what it's all about, glorifying God. Look at the next verse, verse 32. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. You know, that sums up the whole world. The Jews, the Greeks or the Gentiles who are unbelievers, the church of God, Christians who are both Jewish and Gentile believers. Don't offend the Jews, don't offend the Gentiles, don't offend any believers. Verse 33, Paul says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then he closes, chapter 11, verse 1 actually goes with this section. It shouldn't be part of the new chapter here, but 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So so there's the bottom line. In whatever we do, how we live, we need to glorify God. We need to be careful not to offend anyone, not just believers, but also unbelievers. And we need to be careful that we're not keeping anyone from the gospel. This week I was reading an account from a pastor who was preaching from Romans 13 and 14, which is the same basic theme that we have here in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. And when he got through preaching that message, he asked for folks to share testimony. He says, I'd like you to get up and testify, tell the congregation about something you have given up for someone else, for the love of a weaker brother. It's very quiet. Finally, one man stood up and he said, you know, I, I like to drink and I like to smoke, but I realized that was causing a lot of believers to stumble, so I've, I've given that up. Then no one else said anything. But this pastor said that after the service, many people came to him and they said, you know, this is the first time in my life I realize I've never done anything for the sake of someone else for the gospel. That's a pretty sobering thought. And Paul is saying here, what we do, regardless of the freedom we have, regardless of the rights we have, what we do should be focused on what we're willing to give up for the sake of a weaker brother, for the sake of someone who needs to come to Christ. Well, I want to wrap up today with some some, uh, biblical words about our basic American rights, the rights that are mentioned in the very second paragraph of our Declaration of Independence. You know the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I frequently visit with our staff about 
different things I'm looking at in Scripture, and I was having a conversation with, with Kim Bailey this week. And uh, I asked Kim about this very passage, and she said, you know, one of the things that bothers me as an American is that it seems like sometimes we, we take our American rights and we confuse the issue when it comes to our biblical response. And she said, you know, when you think about the right to, to life and to liberty and the pursuit of happiness, we have to be careful as believers that we don't let our American rights override the responses that God would call us to. For example... When you think about the right to life, you might have the idea, well, my life is mine. I I can live however I want. But Jesus, in Matthew 15, said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Yes, I've got the right to life, but my life is to be spent, to be expended for others who need to come into the kingdom of God. Well, you have the right to life, you have the right to, to liberty. What's the right to liberty? Well, if I have liberty, I, I'm free to do whatever I want. Paul in Romans 6 said, but now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves to God. You've been set free from sin, you become slaves to God, and so the benefit of that is that it leads you to holiness and the result is eternal life. Again, for who? For yourself and for another who needs to know Christ. The right to life, the right to liberty. What about the pursuit of happiness? You know, if we're not careful, we can say, well, I can do whatever makes me happy and not think about the consequences to others when we pursue our own happiness. Philippians 3, or excuse me, Philippians 2, again, Paul said, we're not to be selfish. We're not to look for our own ambition or what makes us happy, but in humility, we should consider others more important than ourselves. We shouldn't let our happiness overcome our desire to help others, to to put their interests before our own interest. Well, it's a lot that Paul has said here in in chapter 9 and chapter 10, but boy, it's some great instruction for us as believers to remember that while we are free in Christ, we're to glorify God in everything we do. While we're free in Christ, like like Paul, we ought to have the same thought about how we live life, and that is this. In the way that I live life, how will every person that I encounter see the gospel? How will a younger believer see in me my willingness to set aside my own desires, my own aspirations in order to help him or her grow in their relationship? How will the lost person, when they see that, while I have the freedom to do these things, I'm willing to set that aside in order to be a better reflection of Christ, that they might be more responsive to the gospel? Well, and then we saw that Paul closes with a very uh, simple reminder that keeps us on course. He basically says, do what I do as I imitate Christ. Paul says to these Corinthian believers, hey, I'm imitating Christ. If you'll imitate me, you'll be imitating Christ. We'll be doing the things that Jesus would have done, limiting, as he did, his own rights, limiting his own freedom in order to bring people to the saving message of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for Christ for his willingness to set aside his rights as God, 
to limit himself, to limit his freedoms, to limit his liberties, to be made in a human body, to make himself a slave, a servant of others, even to the point that he gave up the right to life and went to the cross for us. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look to his example, help us to live that out in our lives. God, thank you for the testimony of Paul who didn't exercise his liberty and his freedoms and his rights as an apostle, but he made himself a servant so that everyone would have opportunity to come to faith in Christ. Would you take just a moment this morning with your head still bowed and your eyes closed and just you communing with the Lord and, and just think about what am I willing to do? What am I willing to give up if it would help someone come to Christ or help a younger believer to grow in their faith? I don't know about you, but for me and probably for most of us, that's, that's not a thought I've ever really had before. The way I live each day, the actions, the activities I'm involved in have a profound, eternal impact. Father, help us to be willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary for the sake of the gospel. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.